Here we go again with another batch of spooky listener stories. Let's get right into it. Hi Liz. First, I want to thank you for your show. Not only did shows like yours inspire my wife and I to start our own podcast, but your writing has inspired me to get back into writing myself. Yay! I would preface that I've told this story on a podcast before, okay. and I'm so excited to tell you, and if you choose to use it, I'd be honored. I have to start this story off with a quote from The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I highly recommend. Yes. And that this story is not as much of a ghost story, but a love story. I'll also say that ghosts have always been a part of my life. I grew up in the South and still live here. And ghost stories seem to be intertwined with just regular ones. Mm. My mom's side of the family is very sensitive, and I think I inherited some of that intuition. I'm not a medium by any means, but I do feel like my gut feelings are most always accurate. I also have to start the story by stating how much I love my grandparents. They were important parts of my life, and it was only after their deaths that I truly understood how much they meant to me. And that is one of the biggest regrets in my life. My grandmother passed away first, and I had a hard time not being able to talk to her anymore. Now, I know this sounds insane, but talking out loud to her seemed to help. But the thing was, when I would talk to her, I'd hear something in return. For example, a knocking or perhaps a creak in the house. Instances that could be explained, but still left a lingering, maybe, in the back of your head. Once, I was looking for an old college ring and had torn my house apart in frustration. I called out to my grandmother as I grabbed the old purse in front of me, and there in the pocket was my ring. I know I had looked in that purse before, but the ring sat there as if it had been waiting for me. That's cool. After my grandmother's death, my wife and I ended up moving around for my job and found ourselves living in central Massachusetts. It was around October 2018 that I had a dream about my grandmother, and this was odd because I'd never dreamt of her before. I knew she was dead in the dream, and I became emotional as I told her how much I missed her. She held my hand and leaned in to whisper something in my ear. I don't remember exactly what she said, when I woke up, I woke my wife up and told her my grandfather would die on Thanksgiving Day. We laughed this off, but I had never had a dream that specific before. Thinking about it now gives me shivers. Mm. We spent Thanksgiving Day in Massachusetts with my father-in-law. My wife answered a call from my mom and surely greeted her with a happy turkey day. But the blood mm. drained from her face as she listened to what my mom said through the other end. My grandfather had a massive blood clot. Oh. It was not expected to recover. Him and my grandmother had been married for 72 years and had the epic love that they show in the movies. He had no desire to spend any more time away from her and simply asked to be kept comfortable. I kept telling myself that if he did pass, it may be in a few days. When the phone rang at 11 on Thanksgiving night, I knew exactly what my mom was going to tell me. My grandfather took his final breath, smiled, and said my grandmother's name as he slipped away. I had no doubt that she was there to greet him. I don't know if I'll ever have a premonition again, but the experience has affirmed my belief, and only mine, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to believe, mm. that we don't simply end when we die. I think my grandmother was trying to prepare me in the only way that she could, by reaching through when the veil was thinnest, mm. and hoping I'd rely on my gut feeling. And above all, I now truly believe that love can conquer anything, mm. even death. Thank you again, and please keep telling your spooky tales. Celeste. Wow, Celeste, thank you for sharing that. That that really is incredible, and I 100% agree with you. Hi, Liz. This is Becky in Northern Illinois, and I'm a big fan of your show. I'm super excited that you're having people send in their own ghost stories. So um, I've got a ghost story for you. Um, maybe not so much of a ghost story, but something strange that did happen to me. 
um, when I was in my 20s working as an intern for the Student Conservation Association. Um, the Student Conservation Association is kind of like uh, the Peace Corps for national parks. So young people go into the parks and they build trails and they act as docents and they basically do whatever is needed to help the park out. So I was stationed in Bryce Canyon National Park, which is in Utah, and I was a member of the National Park Night Sky Team, which was a very small group of very dedicated rangers, and their goal was to try to get dark skies recognized as natural resources within the parks, just like a river would be a natural resource or old growth forests or bears or whatever. Um, the dark sky is another resource. Um, it's just a lot harder to quantify. Very so cool. um, what the night sky team was uh, mostly interested in doing was to quantify how dark the skies actually were in Utah and Nevada and all those super dark places in the Southwest where there aren't any cities and there aren't a lot of lights. So what we would do is we would go to various parks around that area. Um, we'd set up on a high spot in the middle of the park um, where there weren't a lot of trees on the horizon. We'd set up a laptop and a camera and a camera mount that would take pictures of the sky from all different angles. And we put that together as a wow. mosaic and measure what light pollution there was. It was a really wow. cool job. So one of my first solo assignments was at Mesa Verde National Park, which is a park um, just in the corner of Colorado. And it is a place where there are a number of very old cave dwellings um, built into the cliffs oh. of Mesa Verde. So um, they're, it's, it's spectacular. It's super interesting. There are a couple of dwellings that are um, set back from the cliffs as well, but most of them are actually built into the walls of these sheer cliffs. So really neat place to go. And so I got to the park um, in the morning and mm. unpacked and found that I was going to be staying in this very cool, very cute WPA era um, park house that they had, which was like a little castle almost. It had a, a stone tower um, oh. that on the inside was a little round bedroom. It was very cool. So I unpacked, I started charging all my equipment, um, and then went for a little hike, came home, had a snack, and then found something to do while I was waiting for dusk to fall and I could go set up the equipment. So at this point in my life, um, I was also very into the not-so-cozy mysteries of Nevada Barr, who writes about Anna Pigeon, stalwart park ranger, who also travels to lots of different national parks and has various mishaps all over the place. Oh, I want to read that. Um, there is an Anna Pigeon novel about Mesa Verde. It is called Track of the Cat. It features Anna Pigeon staying in the exact same tower room house that I was staying in. And of course, they had a copy no at the way. house. So I picked it up and read a couple chapters before heading out. The book features prominently um, various mountain lion attacks. So oh. that was pretty exciting and set me a little on edge as I headed out into the dusk. But I got to our predetermined sampling location. And the location that my boss had picked to sample from was um, a high point. It didn't have a lot of trees on the horizon. And it was a high point because it was a foundation of one of the old dwellings. So you could see that there had been foundation stones laid out in a little rectangle. I think you could even see various um, rectangles that delineated the internal like, houses within the dwelling. It was very, um, very neat. Um, so I set up there. I set up my camera um, on the tripod with the camera mount. I set up my laptop. I set up all my lights, um, made sure that all the batteries were all connected 
as they were supposed to. Um, at that point, one of the park rangers came by to check on me um, and just kind of spend some time with me during the first part of my data collection. And um, she was real nice. We started the started the um, camera process going and the camera started taking pictures. And the process would usually last about an hour and a half. We usually tried to get two or if we were lucky, even three rounds of data collected in an evening so that we would have you know, enough data to, to get a good picture of what was going on. So the, the ranger and I are out there talking and she's telling me all about the various um, mountain lion sightings that have occurred in the park over the last couple of weeks. And that's not really anything that I want to hear at night in the dark out there right now. Yeah. But um, she was very nice. And about 20 minutes into the, um, into the data collection process, she had to go do some rounds and she said she's going to come back and check on me in about I don't know, half an hour. So wow. she left and I um, sat there watching the um, camera take its pictures and monitoring the laptop. Everything was going great. Um, it was a beautiful, clear night, so there weren't any clouds to obscure any portions of the sky. Um, but, you know, as, as the 10 and 20 minutes went on, I started hearing little sounds that I thought might be mountain lions here and there and everywhere. And I started looking back at the truck and thinking about how anxious I was to wrap this up and get home. Um, and that, that feeling just kept building, as you know, it kind of does in, the, in uh-huh. the dark, in the woods when you're nervous and alone. Um, and then all of a sudden, all of my equipment turned off at once. The laptop turned oh, off, boy. the camera turned off, the camera mount turned off the motor that ran the camera mount, which was especially disconcerting because the laptop was um, powered by a separate battery than the camera, which was powered by a separate battery than the camera mount. (laughs) So all of these things had different power sources that had all simultaneously stopped powering the things Uh. they were supposed to be powering. At that point, um, that combined with my nervousness about the mountain lion Mm -hmm. made me decide to scoop up all my equipment throw it back in the truck gently and head back to the tower house where I took my equipment and put it away, went into bed with track of the cat and proceeded to finish that book over the course of the late night while I waited for my boss and his partner to come meet me um, later. So they ended up coming back to the park a lot later that night and saw that I wasn't at my post. So they ended up taking a couple of rounds of data and it turned out that the night was not wasted after all, but that was yeah. still a pretty freaky thing that happened, and I thought you would enjoy hearing about it. So thanks for the opportunity to tell the story, and um, have a great September. Oh, you too, Becky. Thank you for sharing that. That is fascinating, and I had never heard anything about that before, but of course, um, you called it Dark Skies. Of course, that's a major resource. Um, that's incredible. And the lights, everything going off at once. It just can't be a coincidence. That is something. I know, say what you will about a reality ghost hunting television. I know that I'm obsessed with it. Um, and I do do my best to just suspend disbelief and enjoy it. But batteries draining, things going off at the same time, it's a reoccurring theme. It's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. So there you go. Uh, the cat, the big cats, though. Jeez, Louise. No, thank you. <laughs> but thank you for sharing. I don't know if you can hear Ivy snoring, but I just realized how 
loud it is. So if you hear something funny, it's not a demon in my house. That's little Ivy. Hello, Liz Sauer and podcast listeners. Uh, I have a very short story that I started to mention at the end of my story and it got cut off. So if you would like to hear the whole story, I'm going to tell it again. Um, it's a very brief story. I don't know story. which story that got um, cut off from family oral history, I guess, or gossip. Um, So after my dad had passed away, one of my sisters told me that she had a conversation years ago with his oldest sister. And most of our aunts were, they were already in high school or grown when my father came around. So there was a bit of an age gap between them. But um, this aunt told my sister about um, the evening that our grandfather had passed away. Um, I think our father had probably just turned about 18 years old and he was in high school, but this particular sister was probably in her late 20s, early 30s at that point. So uh, our grandfather had a heart attack. He was in the hospital and um, my father, my grandmother, and my aunt were all there together uh, that particular day to sit with my grandfather. Um, and then it got later in the day, and so my father and my grandmother left to go home, and my aunt was going to stay um, for a little while longer with her grandfather. And mm-hmm. the way she described it to my sister was the hospital that our grandfather was in, um, his room, there was a bench that was right outside the doorway of his room um, in the hallway. And so she got up and she went and sat down. Um, on this bench where she could still look in um, on the room that our grandfather was in and see him. And she said while she was sitting there, um, after a while, she started to notice something that looked like mist Hmm. um, in the room. And the mist started to kind of coalesce. Um, It got thicker um, and more dense. And... um, Basically, you know, it was along the ceiling and it just started to gradually get thicker and thicker and darker and form a shape. And the shape that she said it looked like was an ironing board, which was very, very random. But, you know, she said it was basically on the ceiling of the room that our grandfather was in that it started to, you know, get thicker and started to form the shape. And she she thought it looked like an ironing board. And then at some point, it's up on the ceiling, it starts to kind of float. And it started floating basically across the ceiling of the hospital room towards the doorway, towards where our aunt is. Um, And I, you know, this was told to me secondhand, and the story was told to my sister years ago. So I don't know what my aunt's, I only met the woman once because I was born and raised in a completely different part of the country from where my father grew up. Um, I only met the woman once and maybe I was about four years old, so I don't really have any memories of her, but my aunt told my sister that Mm. it starts to float across the ceiling of the hospital room and she realizes that it's going to exit the room and come right where she is Hmm. sitting in this bench outside the doorway. Um, but the mist basically floated out, it floated out the doorway um, and it was along the ceiling the entire time, and it passed by here, and then it started to float down the corridor um, of the hospital where um, his room was and where she was sitting, 
Wow. And, you know, I don't know if there were other people around or if it was just, it didn't sound like he had a roommate in the hospital. It sounded like he was by himself. Mm. Um, and it was probably later in the evening. So there weren't as many like, you know, visitors or like medical staff around. So she said she sat there and she saw this mist exit the room. It passed by her. It was still along the ceiling. And then it kind of went down part of the way down the hallway and then, you know, just like how it had started to coalesce together and get darker and thicker, it started to diffuse again. Um, and, you know, basically by the time I got down to the end, um, and she watched it the whole time, the time, by the time I got down to the end of the hallway, it had diffused up through the ceiling and disappeared. Um, huh. Supposedly that was around the time that her grandfather um, passed away. He'd had a massive heart attack. Um, and was in the hospital because of that. And so she told my sister that she basically thought what she saw was our grandfather's spirit leaving his body. I have no idea why, you know, yeah. he would take the shape of an ironing board. <laughs> but she said that's, you know, what she thought she saw was, you know, her father was passing away um, and his soul was leaving his body and going on to, you know, wherever he was supposed to go to next. So that's my story. Uh, thank you. Oh, wow. I mean, that's really amazing. And it's true. Like, why that shape? But I, I don't know. It's just really incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Hi, Liz. My name is Cheryl, and I have a ghost story I'd like to share with you. And if you want to make comments while I'm telling this story, I would be thrilled with that. You got it. So my husband and I lived in Atlanta, but he worked with a company for a while that was based in New York. And so we would have to go to New York for business trips. Well, he would, and I would tag along. And this one time I went with him and um, he was invited to a dinner party at night. And I normally don't go to stuff like that because the small talk just wears me out. But I went along this time and 100%. it was super fun. Um, the, it was going to be about 20 people from the company and they had reserved a, a private room in an Italian restaurant in Chelsea. And so we got there and it's this really old building that had been converted into an Italian restaurant. And to get to the private room that they reserved, you had to go through the main dining room and down this narrow little staircase. And that was the only way in and out of this room. And hmm. it's probably a fire hazard, but I didn't think about that at the time, thank goodness. So we were um, down in this cozy little basement room and sitting around, having appetizers, making small talk, yeah. um, drinking, and waiting for our food to arrive. And it took a really long time. So we were sitting there for quite some time and one of the guys from across the table got up and he went to the restroom. And so I should say that the private room had one little bathroom off to the side um, adjoining. And it was, it was attached with just a little tiny short hallway that was more like a coat closet. So that was it. There was the small dining room, Huh. There was the little coat closet hallway and one bathroom. So okay. I watched him go. And then 
when he came back, I decided I would get up and go as well. And so when he took his seat, I got up before anybody else could, and I went over to the bathroom. And when I walked through that little hallway, I saw that the bathroom door was standing ajar a little bit. And I knew no one could be in there, or I thought no one could be in there because he had just come back. So I just, you know, confidently pushed on the door to go in. Well, the door slammed in my face. And this really super mean voice said, someone's in here. I mean, it was so scary sounding. Um, So I was mortified and I apologized and I stood outside the door for about 30 seconds or so. And then I thought, what am I doing? I don't want to be standing out here when this asshole gets out of the bathroom. I don't want to have to be you know, I don't want him to know that it was me trying to get in the bathroom, even though it was an accident. So I scurried back to the table and I sat down and I decided I would just wait until he came out and then I would go. So I did. I sat down and I watched and I waited and no one came out. Well, finally, another guy from across the table got up and walked to the bathroom and he came back in about like two or three minutes and just sat down nothing he didn't seem rattled at all so I leaned over and I asked were you able to get into the bathroom and he said yep and he just kept you know eating reach for a roll no big deal so I thought well let me try again so I got up and went through that little hallway again and the door was ajar and this time I very tentatively pushed on it and it opened and I was able to go into the bathroom And I was thinking as I did, well, maybe there was a door inside the bathroom that I didn't know about that would be a way out. Maybe that's where that mean person went. Um, And maybe that's why I didn't see him. But once I got into the bathroom and shut the door behind me, I realized there was no door inside the bathroom. There was only one way in and out. So the only thing I can think is that I encountered a spirit. Yeah. And not a very nice spirit either. So I finished up in there really quickly, came back to the table, and I didn't tell my husband about it (laughs) until we were on the way home on the train. And we spent the whole train ride coming up with scenarios and (laughs) ideas about who this voice could have belonged to. But honestly, I mean, an old basement. In an old building in an old neighborhood in New York City. I mean, it's kind of a perfect place for a ghost, don't you think? Totally. Thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> that's really spooky, but also that is just the worst awkward feeling when you walk in on someone into the bathroom. So you've combined two terrible things. <laughs> so thank you, Cheryl, for sharing that. That was great. Hi, Liz. My name is Josh, and I'm a longtime fan and really, really love your podcast. So thank you so much for that. And also uh, thanks for letting us share our spooky uh, stories as Halloween approaches. I grew up about 20 miles east of St. Paul in a town named Stillwater, Minnesota, along the St. Croix River. Uh, It's a veritable history lesson with um, (laughs) the history going back to before Minnesota was a state with French Voyager history on the Croix and Native American battle sites and history um, around town. It's just really old. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've happened to see the movie Beautiful Girls or Grumpy Old Men, that's my hometown. Oh. I grew up about five miles north of that on a 10-acre hobby farm. And um, one summer night, my dad, who flew commercially, and he has some stories too, he was gone. My older siblings were gone, so it was just my mom and I home. We're outside, and she's in the garden, and I'm on the driveway playing hockey and just kind of looking down the driveway. We had a long gravel driveway, and across the street was the old Arcola schoolhouse. So as I'm looking down the driveway, I notice that someone's walking down it, Uh, and it's just getting closer, and I asked my mom if she knew who it was, and she said, no, I, I don't know anyone yet. And as I look, I notice it's a girl about my age, and I'm staring at her going, boy, it's awfully hot to be wearing what she's wearing. She's in period dress with a blue bonnet covering long blonde hair. She has a long blue dress that reaches down over leather boots. She has a book strap in her right hand with books over her shoulder. And as I look at her face, there's nothing there. Oh. Just black. So chills run through my body as I'm watching my mom straight ahead, watching her body language as she kind of perks up and I see her jaw drop and we're staring at this girl who doesn't acknowledge us at all, walk past us into the backfield and disappear. And with that, I point to my mom and I said, did you? And she said, did you? And I was so freaked out. I ran into my house and locked my mom outside. Um, <laughs> and that was that was quite the scene. Um, no one in the family believed us, of course. And let's fast forward now to my senior year in high school. Same place. No one else is home but my mom and I. I'm waiting for my high school girlfriend to get off of work. And it's darker. It's, it's getting towards 9 o'clock. And my mom is outside in the backfield, hanging out with the dogs, just looking over on the Wisconsin side, taking it all in. Um, I'm inside, and she says, Josh, come on out here with the binoculars. So I bring the binoculars out, and we're looking at the horizon of the Wisconsin side, and I look through the binoculars, and there's like a bulb of, it looks like a weather balloon with propulsion. I just said, oh, that's just a weather balloon, whatever. I'm a smart-ass teen. I know everything, you know? I go back inside, and so she's watching, still looking at it from the outside. I'm now looking at it up at the big bay windows uh, as well, but I can see my mom to the le- to my left through a different window. Huh. The bulb proceeds to then turn into a big green triangle. Oh boy! The green triangle—it's the green of a piercing stop, like a stoplight. That green. Then it breaks off Liz into three smaller triangles in the sky and proceed to, for about 18 minutes, I looked at the microwave to time it, and they they did these crazy patterns in the sky. They would zip around and show up at one space, zip around to another. What in the world? And just doing that. My face is pressed against the glass, pants equals pooped. So after that time, the big green triangle then goes into the bulb again and then fades out and disappears. My girlfriend, Julie, drives up as my mom and I are jumping up and down, going nuts. <laughs> and um, we, the two of us, were fortunate to have seen those two things. What's interesting to note is that I'm an adopted Korean. 
and how we connected on a different level, not being blood related, but just to have that maybe that spiritual energy or just that connection. Um, unfortunately, she passed away recently, and oh, um, and she she so shows signs that she's around and oh. plays jokes, and it's just comforting to know that she's okay. Um, I was a camp director with the YMCA for a long time, and the last camp that I directed was west of the cities on Lake Independence. It was about 100 years old and had its own history, and especially known for cabin number 13, of course, Blackfoot Cabin. And um, during the summer months, counselors that I completely trusted, I hired myself, um, would come up to me at breakfast and say, hey, Josh, I saw the craziest thing. I saw a girl standing at the foot of a camper's bed, soaking wet in soaking pajamas, long, dark, stringy hair covering her face. And when she turned oh. to look, she would disappear. Uh-uh. And it was to the point where no staff wanted to stay in there. Sure. Uh, knowing what I grew up with and the, what I saw, I completely believed it and um, just went, okay, wow, that's crazy. So in the non-summer months, we were a conference center, and we had a group there that um, would that had been there returning for about 40 years. So we knew them well. And uh, their security guard would come in and stay overnight as the retreat as a chaperone as well. And he stayed in Blackfoot Cabin one night. So at breakfast, I walk in, um, and Steve looks like he just got his ass handed to him. And I said, what happened? And he said, Josh, I'm a grown man in my 60s. I've seen a lot of things. I had to sleep with the lights on last night. And I wow. said, wow, why? He said, I turned the lights off. We got ready for bed. And two shadows cross my view. And I hear, get out. <laughs> and he heard long scratches on this metal surface by his ear. So then he turns oh, the lights boy. on and he looks at the brand new installed furnace of a week before and um there's three long scratches on it like freddy krueger and he said i slept with the lights on that night and i went okay i'm okay so in the winter my last winter there i'm walking indy by the summer office it's late at night no one is on camp and i go to my right to blackfoot cabin and liz the lights flicker on flicker off flicker on flicker off now no one is on camp i have the keys in my pocket to the cabin and i look at the snow and there's no footprints oh so i hightail it like scooby and shaggy it was quite the scene hightailing it back to my camp house i'll never forget that um no (laughs) just wanted to say thank you so much again for uh all you do please uh, just know that we love your podcast and just have a great Halloween. Thank you, you too. And there go the dogs. First the phone ringing and now the dogs. Sorry about that. Um, that is on so many levels creepy. You and your mom seeing that little girl walking together with no face. I just, the fact that you saw it at the same time and then the UFO. Um, or what the heck are they calling them now? There's some other ridiculous name for them now, but I still call them UFOs. That's spooky. Uh, Just the camp. No, no thank you. (laughs) But those are really great stories. Thank you, Josh. 
Hi Liz, my name is Sarah and I have a story about something that used to happen to me when I was a kid at my grandparents' house in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, to tell you a little bit about my grandparents, my grandfather was a military officer and my grandmother was a proper southern lady and they were both very involved in their community and their church. And like a proper officer's wife, my grandmother often hosted all sorts of get-togethers. She was very sociable. <laughs> So one night, my brother and I are at my grandparents' house on an evening that they were having a small dinner party. And we had been sent to bed while the party was still going on. I think I was about eight at the time, which would have made my brother about ten. But I woke up a little while later, and I could hear that the guests were still there. I could hear sounds like uh, dishes and glasses and talking. So I go over to the stairs to peek down towards the dining room and the living room but as i got there the sounds disappeared and when i looked down the main floor was completely dark and empty there was no one there oh. um i was a little confused but i just went back to bed and I, as i was getting back into my room i looked at the clock and i saw that it said about two o'clock in the morning um i didn't really think a whole lot about it until the next time that we went to my grandparents and uh again i woke up during the night and I heard voices and clinking sounds like dishes and silverware. Huh. So this time there had been no dinner party. So my first thought was that I was sleeping through breakfast. Uh -huh. The room that I slept in had blackout curtains. So sometimes it was a little bit hard to tell, you know, whether it was light or dark outside. Um, so thinking that I'm missing breakfast, I hop out of bed and go to the stairs. But again, when I get to the stairs... The voices disappear, and I see the main floor is completely dark and empty. I go back to my room, and I look at the clock, and I see that it's still the middle of the night, about 2.30. And I'm a little confused, but I chalk this up to just having a dream until it happens again. Um, and this happens again and again when I go to my grandparents' house until yeah. they move out and into assisted living when I'm a teenager. Now, it doesn't happen every night, but just a few times a year when I'm there, and usually between 2 and 3 a.m. I mention it to my brother, but, you know, like brothers do, he just brushes it off and, you know, just says that I'm being a little, little kid. Um, and then my grandparents, they were good, devout Christians, and they dismissed anything supernatural, so I never mention hmm. it to them. I don't want them to think that I'm possessed or in case they drive <laughs> me to a church for a prayer meeting or anything. Uh, and to this day, I have no explanation for what I used to hear at their house. Uh, yeah. My grandmother has since passed on, oh. so in remembering her and thinking about these occurrences, I like to just think that the house remembered the laughter and the merriment uh, and the happiness that she brought into it. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my little story. Hope you'll enjoy it. Wow, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Again, like we kind of have talked about, like the residual stuff. And I love that the happy residual stuff is there. Very cool. Hi, Liz. My name is Siobhan, and I have a creepy kid story for you. My father passed away in 2009, and my mother still lives in the house where um, they live for the majority of their marriage together, and the house where I grew up as a kid. Hmm. And my son and I were visiting a couple weeks ago. 
Um, my mom doesn't have a ton of toys for him to play with, but she does have this rocking horse. Uh-oh. The rocking horse is kind of more for like decorative purposes now, but you can ride it. I played with it as a kid too, and I would ride it. So he was playing with that, and my mom and I were on the couch just chatting. And all of a sudden, he was just rocking back and forth, and he was turning around and kind of looking over his shoulder, and he would giggle. Um, I've never seen him do anything like that before, but I just thought it was kind of like a weird thing a toddler might do. And he did it a few more times, and then finally he turns around over his shoulder, and he says, stop it. And I said, who are you talking to? And he told me, oh, I'm just talking to the pretend man. said what pretend man and he said the man he's holding me onto the rocking horse and he doesn't want me to fall off and I said oh he's helping you stay on the horse he said yeah he's he wants me to not get hurt um so then my mom said what what does the pretend man look like And he said oh you know he's big and he has kind of white hair now, my father was 6'4", and he had completely gray hair. He went gray by the time he was about 40. So we're pretty sure it was my dad who was holding him on the rocking horse, making sure he wasn't falling off. Um, the week after, my sister was actually over with us, and she was asking about it, and... Um, you know, she asked him about the pretend man and somewhere in my mom's house, there was a big bang while he was talking about the pretend man. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we never figured out what the big bang was from, but we're thinking it's maybe a sign that we're right and maybe it's him. So yeah, creepy, but also comforting. Love the show. Yeah, super comforting. That is really cool. Even though, yeah, it's a touch creepy, but very, very cool. Hey, Liz. My name is Teresa, and this is my ghost story from Georgia. Um, Let me preface this by saying I wish I'd known about all of this stuff 25 years ago, 26 years ago, when all this good stuff started, but you didn't have your podcast then. (laughs) So 26 years ago... My son was almost two years old, and I was pregnant with my daughter, Elizabeth. And we bought our first house down here in Georgia. And the weird thing was, every time I would go through the house that we were looking at, you know, trying to pick out wallpaper or, you know, try to decide what we were going to change, the couple would never leave the house. They were always following me around. Every time I visited the house while they were there, I would have problems with the pregnancy. The doctors could not figure it out. I would leave the house either, you know, in horrible pain or spotting, what have you, head to the doctor or the ER, and everything would be fine once I left the house. Uh I never thought anything of it. But as we were going through the house, the couple would follow me around and would always say, This is a very blessed house. This is a really good house. You can live with us for the rest of your pregnancy if you would like until we close. Really creepy stuff. Shit. No. Stupidly, (laughs) we bought the house. And 
the kids' bedrooms, or what would soon be my daughter's bedroom and my son's bedrooms, were upstairs. They were Jack and Jill's. They shared a um, bathroom. And then our bedroom, the master bedroom, and the guest bedroom, which was the nursery until the baby would be old enough to navigate stairs, was downstairs. So I had a nursery monitor and everything downstairs, and I would hear my little boy, Philip upstairs, talking and talking and talking to someone. And one, and I just thought, oh, isn't that cute? He's got a little imaginary friend, you know, we all do at that age. So one night I'm tucking Philip into bed and we're cuddled up and we're chatting. And he says, mommy, when I get scared at night, the old man who lives here sits on my bed and he pats my leg and he says, it's okay, Philip, don't be scared. I'm here. I'll take care of you forever. Wow. Freaked me out. Well, the imaginary friend kept escalating and it got to the point where Philip would insist that we would have to set a table place for this thing when we would eat dinner. It was everywhere. I would have to pretend to buckle this thing in the car, all this junk. And I'm just like, I'm so done with imaginary friend. It got so bad that one night my husband said, okay, you know what? I think it's time imaginary friend name went to visit his cousins in North Dakota. Daddy's going to take him to the airport. He'll be back in a little while. So my husband left and killed time and we thought problem solved. Fast forward, (laughs) next thing you know, the baby is seeing the imaginary person. You would hear her talking in the nursery. You would walk in and she is looking at the corner of her room where there is nothing talking. Freaked me the heck out. Wow. So time goes on and we just kind of learn to live with it because nothing bad was happening. I guess it wasn't a horrible thing that there is an imaginary or ghost old man protecting my two babies. You know, worse things have happened. (laughs) So we decided to sell the house and we moved to a larger house on the other side of town. Then if the imaginary ghost friend did not follow us and things amped up, stuff would disappear. When we moved from the old house to the new house, I am, I'm kind of OCD. So I pack so carefully, everything's labeled, everything's in its place. Mm. I have a bracelet that my father who is deceased bought me years ago and I adore this bracelet. It disappeared in the move. We were in this house for easily six or seven years When I came home from work one day after I'd gotten the kids, the bracelet is on the dresser in my bedroom, laid out perfectly flat as if I had just sat it there that morning. Freaked me out. But again, nothing bad was happening. And I didn't know Liz Sauer then and know about saging and all that good stuff (laughs) because it was pre-internet garbage. So we just (laughs) lived with it. So fast forward. My kids are now 25 and 27. They had rented a house together. Philip was downstairs, a Liz and her husband had upstairs. Things are now dis- were now disappearing in the rental house. Oh. The ghost does not like fire. So anything that has to do with fire disappeared at the house. Oh. He would they would put candles out, you know, to burn and make a nice cute smell. 
get up in the morning, the candles are completely gone. I'm talking ones that are in jars. Oh. Lighters for the grill, gone. I was up there for their birthday, the one, because their birthdays are like two weeks apart. I'm up there for the birthday and I set the candles on the counter to go and do something else and I'm gonna come back and we're gonna have a happy birthday. Candles are gone. Oh. Candles disappear and aluminum foil, weirdly enough, the ghost does not like aluminum foil. So they can't do anything with aluminum foil. Fast forward a year, the kids have each bought their own house. I mean, if nicely or funny enough, they've bought houses across the street from each other, which makes a mama super oh, happy. So and the great. ghost, I think, likes it too because it can go back and forth across the street between the houses. Oh it has God. followed them from that move. On the upside, it doesn't bother me anymore, so I guess it's <laughs> tag there it. And that's my ghost story. Love you. So glad Ghost and the Burbs is back. Enjoy the high holy season. Oh, that is the best. I just love that story. I'm sure it was creepy, but that's pretty fantastic. What a weird ghost. Candles and aluminum foil. <laughs> Very strange. I don't like the things disappearing. That would drive me insane. But at least he's not bugging you anymore. So <laughs> thank you for sharing. All right, we're going to stop right there, and there are more episodes to come. Trust me, we've got a ton more stories to hear. So, take care. <laughs>